you please turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians and the fourth chapter as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. We're going to start reading and verse eight, verse nine, I'm sorry. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? <clears throat> Let's start at verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? This is, of course, talking about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the, uh, the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every word, every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful, deceitful schemes, rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, and to him who is the head, and to Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers the flower face, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Pray for yourselves as you sit in the proclamation of God's word this morning. Pray for me as I preach this text as well. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Scriptures. We thank you, O God, that all Scriptures, God, breathe and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Pray that you would grant, O God, grace to me as I preach, that your spirit, O God, would be with me, that I would feel your presence, O Lord, know your presence, and we pray for the people that they would hear and understand. O Lord, open up their hearts and minds, if any here with any type of burden, any type of anger, anything that would be unsettling. We pray, O God, that you would grant repentance, and pray, Heavenly Father, you'd give them the grace to listen, and pray that you would apply your word to them. We would ask you, if any are here outside of faith, that you would grant conversion. Any hero got burdened down with a sense of guilt, we pray that you would grant relief and peace. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Are any of you gardeners? I know one, yes. I know Mark is. He says some very nice gardens, as a matter of fact. I grew up, my grandfather uh, was a gardener. He could do about anything, actually. And his gardens were beautiful. Every line was perfectly straight to the rows. There was not a weed in them. And he produced absolutely beautiful fruit. Beautiful tomatoes, cucumbers, scuppernines, whatever he planted, it came to success. I haven't been that blessed in the past couple of years. Well, if you raise tomatoes, you probably know what is called a 
tomato worm. A horned tomato worm. The first time I saw one, I thought something had come from outer space and landed on my tomato plants. They are ugly. And they will devour your plants. If you want to know where they are, they're hard to see. They're the same color as tomato plant. If you want to know where they are, just look where the leaves are missing. And if you see one, you're going to see another one, I guarantee it. They like to hang out together. And they will ruin your crop. They have to be fought back. They have to be beaten. I won't touch one of them. I will not touch them and pull them off. I spray them, but I will not touch one. I think they may be poisonous. They've got to be. They're so terribly ugly. But it changes and morphs into what is called a a hawk moth, a sort of a big butterfly-looking thing. It goes through a transformation. Well, in the text this morning, the Apostle Paul is talking about a metamorphosis as well. That metamorphosis taking shape in the maturing of the Christian in the church. Don't ever think, don't ever suppose, don't ever conclude that you have reached the pinnacle of perfection and personal holiness in your life because you haven't. You never will in this life. You simply will never do it. So there is to be then that need, that concern for all of us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. In particular here, he's talking about those who have recently come to faith and those who have been gifted particularly for that purpose of teaching new converts in the church. Do you have a desire to learn? Do you have a desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Do you really want to be more like Christ? You have to ask yourself that question. There is a combat, you see. There's a combat for the world and all that it has to offer. All the pleasures, all the success, all the notoriety, all the popularity that it has to give. And then here, those things that are spiritual, that really we wait for them. We wait for them. The greatest blessings that we have are not here yet. To know Christ and to be saved is indeed a great blessing. To communicate with God through Christ is a great blessing. To know sanctification is a great blessing. But no matter how long you've been a Christian and how far you are along in your sanctification, you can in a moment fall terribly. And you can in a moment have somebody close to you stricken with an illness or an accident or something like that. That puts our faith to the test. We look forward to the day when there will be no testing. There will be no trials. There will be that great, glorious living in the presence of Christ and the company of the redeemed. We are not there yet. In the meantime, we are to give it our all to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to see this this morning, that the gifts God has given to some in the church, this is, again, talking about the gifts of ministry, are to be used for the spiritual well-being and the maturing of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in order that all may be involved in ministry in some form or another. The first thing, then, Christian maturity requires Christian ministry. Christian maturity 
requires Christian ministry. Remember that Paul listed those various gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors, and teachers. I also remind you, this is not an exhaustive list. Don't read this and think, I have none of those, therefore I'm not gifted. That's not true. God has given, Christ has given every member of his church some kind of gift to be used in the capacity of ministering to other people in need. Everyone has some kind of gift. Don't think that you don't. But these gifts, again, are specifically given for instruction in the word of God, for ministry in the word of God. That's why these are given to the church. And these gifts used, as he says here, are for the perfecting of the saints. That's exactly what it says in the text here, that we would be perfected. Now, what does this mean, that we may be perfected? Is this somehow suggesting that we are lacking in our relationship with God? That we're not quite far enough along in our Christian walk to really be at peace with God. That's a works religion. That's a works salvation. That's not at all what this is teaching. The Bible teaches us that those who are in faith, those who are trusting Christ for the salvation, are as righteous as they possibly can be in Christ. That's not to say that we're as holy as we possibly can be in Christ. So far as our standing before God, the great judge who would uh, pronounce us guilty apart from Christ has declared us not guilty because we are in Jesus and we are justified by the faith we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we can call God our Father. That's why we can go to God in prayer with boldness and confidence that he loves me and that he hears me when I come to him because I'm in Christ Jesus through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he's talking about the perfecting of the saints, he does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that they're not right with God. Every Christian is right with God. Every Christian has God's smile upon them, if you will, as far as being justified. So he's talking here about new converts, people that are new to the faith. Now, there may be some old converts there who might be spiritually lazy. Have you ever been guilty of being spiritually lazy? We all have. Either spiritually lazy or spiritually indifferent. It is assumed that if you're a Christian, you're going to grow in grace. It is sort of normative in the life of the believer that we will be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. Think of where someone was before they were converted. We need to be perfected. We need to mature, basically. Where were you before you were converted? As Woody Margaret used to say, lost as a goose. I'm not sure exactly what that means, because I don't know goose got lost, but it lost. I know what dead and trespasses means. I know what blindness means. That's where they were. That they followed the course of the air of this world. They followed the dictates of Satan. They may have been religious. They may have been involved in some type of religion. But listen to this. A false religion does not make one right with God, no matter how sincere somebody may be that's involved in it. It is only through Christ that we have peace with God. So, we are to recognize that we are to be individuals who, because we are Christian, are growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ always. Always. Sanctification is not something 
that we can ever put away and say, well, I've, I've got enough, I've come for enough, I've, I've perfected, so I need try no more. And before I forget, Alistair Begg, who you all know, I think a great deal of his preaching, his ministry, was converted in a Sunday school class. Sunday school. You teachers who teach Sunday school, who teach children Sunday school, recognize how important that is. A man like that being converted in Scotland in a Sunday school class as a child, as the word is taught to them. So the people here, again, they are either spiritually lazy and they're not growing, although they should be, or, again, I think they are basically referring to new converts who are in Sunday school 101, the beginnings. And so that you don't know Christ before you're converted. You don't know about the Bible before you're converted. These people need to be instructed in those things. And again, growth in the likeness of Christ is normative for the church. Listen to what Paul writes in Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. Hebrews 5:11 through 14 about this we have much to say it is hard to explain since you have become dull in hearing these are believers but they have become dull in hearing he says here for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God what's happened well they've quit striving they've quit reading they've quit studying they have quit sitting under the proclamation of God's word. They have quit being, they're not being taught anymore. And so what happens then, you see, there is no staying in one spot for the Christian. You are either sinking or you're flying. One or the other. There is no neutral ground. No, uh, when you, when you dive, when you go scuba diving, you try to become uh, neutrally buoyant. In other words, you, you can float at the spot. You can go up if you swim that way. You can go down if you go down that way. But as you're in the water, you're neutrally buoyant. You just stay in one spot. That's impossible for the Christian. It's impossible for the Christian to be neutrally buoyant, so to speak. Because you are either moving forward or you are going backwards. You are either healthy spiritually or you are not healthy spiritually. So again, he says... Um, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. This is not a compliment to these people. This is not where they should be. Again, the writer to the Hebrews said, you should be teaching by now. You should be far enough along in your understanding and what you have learned to teach other people. But you can't. Again, spiritually lazy. Spiritually indifferent. Floating along like the people do on the Kamal River. Sitting in the tube and just kind of float along. That's not how it works in the faith. Well then, the people who God has gifted in these special gifts of ministry are to see to it that they use their gifts in the end of that Work is the sanctification of the building up of the people of God, the perfecting of the saints, if you will. So that they are strengthened in their knowledge, they are strengthened in their understanding, they are strengthened in their commitment, they are strengthened in their piety. 
It is the responsibility of believers to teach other believers. It is the responsibility of, of people who are Christians to take advantage of the teaching that is offered to them. What do you do throughout the week? What do you do through the days of the week? Do you ever go to a Bible study? Do you ever go to a prayer meeting? Do you do anything that really puts you forward with other Christians as striving to be like Christ, as striving to be faithful to Jesus? And I at least hope, I hope, I hope and pray that you read the Scriptures and spend time in prayer. That is neglected in our own day, in our own time. It probably has been neglected, I guess, throughout the history of the church. We have the Bible. It's God's Word. You open it up. These are God's thoughts. This is God's message. And it blesses me as I read it in faith. And trust. And so I go before the Lord. Lord, please help me to understand these texts. Help me to understand your word and apply it to my life. Because I look at my heart and I see how terribly, terribly worldly I am. And I love the things of the world more than the things of Christ. Lord, help me, I pray. Grant repentance to me. That I might love Christ more than I love anything in this world. Striving to be what God calls us to be, maturing in the faith. And notice this over in the text. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son. Maturity in Christ promotes unity in the church. And why is that? Well, there's one doctrine. There's one doctrine. There's one Savior. One Lord. That unites God's people. The unity of the faith. In other words, that they would come together, all have the same understanding, the same knowledge, the same doctrine, because there is no alternative doctrine in Christianity. It is one doctrine. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He died and rose again from the dead for the sake of his people. And then this goes on, you see, in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. You see what Paul is saying here. That we may, he says that we may be filled um, in the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, continuing to mature and be filled with Christ in our lives. If Jesus is not central and foremost in your life, it's not his fault if you're a Christian. It's your fault if you're a Christian. Paul says, give ourselves to his... And you notice he includes himself until we are filled with the fullness of Christ. If there, I being filled with the knowledge, I am being filled with God's Spirit, and I'm growing in the grace of Christ. And Paul says, we want to be filled to the fullest. Have you ever gone out to eat at some fine restaurant like McDonald's and you get two Big Macs and a quarter pounder and you just eat and enjoy those healthy food right there at McDonald's and some big old order of French fries and two milkshakes? I've never done that, by the way, ever. But you would be stuffed. You would be filled to the gills, as they say. Well, that's what Paul's talking about as far as Christ. We'd be filled with the fullness. And so we don't say, I'm, well, I'm, I'm like I've been to McDonald's. I'm quite full. 
I don't need anything else. No, no. I, I'm full. I want to be fuller of Jesus. I want to be more saturated with Christ in my life. And so we give ourselves again to instruction and teaching and to encouragement in the things of the Lord until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That that can't be done. We always have more room. You see, we always have more opportunities to grow. We are never so saturated like a sponge that can't hold any more water. We can always hold more of Christ. And Paul says we continue and we continue and we continue and we study and we study and we study and we are instructed and instructed and instructed and continue to do so that we may be filled with the fullness of Christ and filled again and filled again and filled again. That Christ is so much in my life that I think of him in the mornings. I think of him throughout the day. I think of him in the evenings. And I am moved to gratitude for the great work that he's done on my behalf. That's where we should be as Christians. That's where we should be as God's people. As we embrace the same truths, the goal of our instruction is maturity, perfecting, becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, more like him moment by moment, day by day. The second thing is that uh, the maturing brings discernment. Listen to what Paul says here in these verses going on down. 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. These people at Ephesus lived in a very, very pagan society. And they were taught all around them the teaching of pagan deities. Persuasive arguments put before them in their lives. Listen to this. The doctrine of the Christian church is pure, unadulterated truth. The doctrine of the Bible is pure, unadulterated truth. Absolute truth. 1 Kings 17, 23 through 24, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. He had died. Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God. And the word of God in your mouth is true. First Kings 22, 27 and 28. Thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken to me. And he said, hear all you peoples the word of truth. I can go on. The New Testament It's clear that the word of God is true. So Jesus said to the Jews who believe in him, if you abide in my word and and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 17, 17, one of our memory verses, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. People search for meaning. People seek for significance in all kinds of ways. And yet it is here in the Bible, and the Bible alone, that we learn truth. That we learn of God. And we learn we are created in His image. And we learn that He is our great Redeemer. So the church has been challenged by false doctrine throughout the ages. Something always rearing this ugly head of a lie in the church. You remember when uh, Adam and Eve first sinned, they listened to the lie of the serpent. 
You remember when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and Moses went up on the mountain and they built this calf out of gold and they started to worship it and it turned into a wild, drunken party. How easily it is, how easy it is for lies to enter into uh, the church and spoil the doctrine of the scriptures in the New Testament. The gospel was coming to Gentiles. They had not had the old sign of the covenant placed upon them, circumcision. The Jews were saying, you've got to be circumcised. Faith in Christ is important, but you also have to be circumcised. If you're going to be saved, you've got to have this Old Testament sign placed upon you. And Paul said, that's not true. It's Christ and Christ alone. So throughout the ages then, false doctrines come into the church. You think about this. All of the cults, all of the spinoffs of Christianity have tainted views of the Scripture. Is it okay to believe that Christ is not really God, but he is the first created being, the archangel Michael, and he's the one that took flesh upon himself? Do you hear that? No. It's not. Because it's not the gospel. It's simply not the gospel. Truth matters. What we believe matters. And we have to beware of doctrine coming into the church. So Paul says these people who are giving this is like being tossed about by the waves. Uh, Paul obviously went swimming in the, in the ocean somewhere. Or it was in a boat. He spent a night and a day in the sea, I remember that. If you've ever been uh, in the ocean or the Gulf, waves can slap you to the ground. I mean, they will knock you down. And it's hard to stand in one spot. You just can't do it. The water's always constantly moving. That's what Paul's talking about. There's no stability to them. They're taught, they hear this, this sounds good. I hadn't thought about that. Well, that must be the meaning of this text. That's got to be what this means. In every wind of doctrine, and like a feather, this blowing around in the wind, no stability. Paul says we don't want to be like that, like children that are, will believe anything. He says that's not how we want to be, carried about by every wind of doctrine, every tossing of the wave. That's not where we want to be as Christians. And they are coming with them with crafty arguments, seeking to deceive them. So... Imagine now that garden being perfect, not full of tomato worms, not full of creatures that eat fruit, not full of snakes that come in and try to take away things that you're growing or bite you, but rather perfectly pure and clean, not a weed, all healthy, beautiful to look at. That's where the church is supposed to be. That is exactly what Paul is talking about here. That we may be filled with the fullness of Christ. And there would be no taint of worldliness. Our wrong doctrine that's going to influence our thinking. So how important is it for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? I found out, this is a story, this is true. There was a man who was very involved in the life of the church. He was kind. He was generous. He was helpful. And it turned out he had had 300 relationships with other men. The gospel meant nothing to him. Nothing. 
He was not one who was being filled with the fullness of Christ, but rather being filled with his own wickedness. How important is the gospel? How seriously do you take the gospel? Are you resting in Christ for your salvation? Recognizing he alone has done the work of taking care of my sin by taking it upon himself on the cross of Calvary. He alone gives me access to God. And he tells me, if I love him, I will obey him. And so that means that I am going to be one who comes and says, Lord, show to me the sinfulness of my own heart. Grant me the grace of repentance. Help me not to love those things that are so tantalizing that I know you hate. Grace upon grace, grant that to me, O God, that I may be filled with the fullness of Christ and want to be filled and filled again and again. And may I take my faith seriously because I serve a God who is serious about my faith and serious about my conduct. He would have me to be righteous. That man I told you about left the faith. Left the church. It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise at all. When I was told that, oh, it shook me. It shook me. How can that possibly be? Someone there for years, how can that possibly be? Well, because they had no interest in being filled with the fullness of Christ. Had no interest in giving heed to the doctrine. They are taught. Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, I meant to bring it up here and I left it, his commentary on Ephesians, he says this, that this describes the purpose of preaching. It's to be for information, it's to be for transformation as well. The purpose of the Word of God being read and preached. Information and transformation. That's what the Word of God is to do. Transform us into some strange ethereal thing. No, to Christ. Into the image of Christ. May that be our strong desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly